The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, happily wearing a sweater in this crisp fall weather. I have the windows open, a honey crisp apple scented candle lit, and I'm ready to share with you my conversation with the one, the only, Alex Bosmoski. Alex is the reason why I am where I am today. Back in 2014, our mutual friend Andrew Holland, who, in case you missed it, has been a guest twice on this show, told us that we needed to know each other. I still remember meeting Alex for coffee in downtown DC and being struck by his unbridled optimism. He was determined to find a way that we could work together, and I'm grateful that he did. I started off writing a few blog posts here and there, and with his advocacy, moved into the position that I have with RepublicEN.org today. Now, that description of Alex really centered around me, so let me take a sec to share a little more about him. Alex Bosmoski has been chasing climate solutions for 15 years through grassroots education, business, technical assistance, and academic research. He currently serves as VP of Programs at Deploy US. But before leaving us to take that gig, he co-founded RepublicEN.org with Bob Inglis. He previously developed clean energy projects in East Africa, consulted for think tanks, authored peer-reviewed articles, and worked on several GOP campaigns, and designed and facilitated e-learning courses on environmental economics and policy for World Bank technical assistance programs. He holds a BA from Georgetown University and an MS in environmental change and management from the University of Oxford. Without further ado, my conversation with my friend, Alex Bosmoski. Listeners, I have a big smile on my face because I'm so happy to be here in conversation with my pal, Alex Bosmoski. He's reporting from his garage in Wisconsin from paternity leave. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, Chelsea. So glad to be here. Well, uh, congratulations on expanding your family. Thank you. Pia Julia is two weeks old today. Two weeks old. Oh, my gosh. A little peanut. She's so cute. And how is Penny adopting to being a big sister? <laughs> well, let's just say some of the episodes I'm um, documenting for uh, her enjoyment uh, via her email address <laughs> that she'll get when she's like 16 or 17 or however old kids are now when they get email addresses. I mean, you, you how old are they when they get emails? <laughs> Alex, kids these days do not look at email. So that, I'm sorry to say. Um, she may look at it when you give her this account. So tell the listeners your, and then we'll get to the meat of what we're going to talk about, but tell them about what you do over email for Penny. Oh, I set up little, I mean, when they're born, I just set up a Gmail account with their name so that no one steals their name. Um, on Gmail. And sometimes when I feel inspired, my wife and I would will just uh, shoot them a note to the future. I love that so much. But yeah, kids these days do not email. They do not respond to email. It's a problem. 
but they're going to do good things for climate change. So I'm just going to overlook that for now, um, which feels like a nice segue into our little discussion today, which um, listeners um, back in, when was it? I don't even know what month we're in now. We're in October. So in September, was it September? Your article was published in National Affairs. I believe it was. I think it's the the fall issue. So that's fall it's going to be current from September through, I don't know when the winter issue comes out, December or January? Well, regardless, this is a fantastic, like if, if somebody wanted to know what is the eco right, what is the history, what is the present, where are we going in the future? You need to check out this article. I'm going to put it in the show notes. The future of conservative climate leadership is the title, but you really do go into how we built this movement. And I just have to start off by giving you credit for coining the term eco-right. That was all you. I don't know what light bulb went off in your head the day that you came up with that. Um, But it's, you know, and you know, full disclosure, I was not always a big fan of the term eco-right, but I've leaned in. I love it now. And so I thought that we could just talk a little bit about, you know, I don't want to focus too much on the history, but there is a history of stewardship and conservation and climate focus from Republican lawmakers that I think is really important for people to recognize and acknowledge today. Yeah, we have, we have quite a, a legacy that, uh, to, to live up to it. By the way, I am camped out in my backyard because my house is not quiet. And, uh, and I'm hearing like uh, city trucks beeping. So apologies to, to our listeners here. Um, if, <laughs> if it gets I out of hand. I don't hear any city trucks on my end. So I think they're just in your ear and it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, over, I mean, boy, it's been 30 years since we got some big things done on the environment. We always get them done in a big bipartisan way, often with uh, a core Republican um, leadership, sometimes a new kind of a new conservative way of doing things uh, that helps us get across the finish line to do big things. And so that happened in the Reagan years and in the Bush 41 years. And we've been a little bit paralyzed since then with polarization. And there's a lot of interesting conversation we could have about why and how and how bad and what's you know animated that polarization that made it worse over time but it's been a pretty poor track record of of results since you know over over my lifetime i I mean we're starting to see that change um pretty incredible in a pretty incredible way and even even at a moment when our country is as as polarized as or almost as polarized as we've ever been I won't say as polarized as we've ever been. It's been worse before. But in our life. Yeah, it's starting to change. In our life. Uh, that's probably true. I mean, there's, I'm sure we have some listeners that uh, might, that will remember like what, what 1968 was like. Either way, uh, things are starting to change. We got, I mean, some, there were some pretty incredible, um, big things that happened in the 2020 omnibus spending package, including the Advanced Energy and Innovation Act and the uh, American Manufacturing an innovation act, uh, which regulated HFCs. So that was a, a pretty big and very bipartisan accomplishment at the end of the Trump administration. And, and, uh, I, I'm just, I feel optimistic. I feel optimistic, but I, for, uh, can I give, just say one thing about this, this article that I'm thanks for reading and it's kind of long and I haven't, I haven't written anything 
really substantial in like a decade. So uh, it was fun and it wouldn't have happened either without my co-authors, this uh, rising star conservative commentator, thinker, uh, Nate Hockman. So he's a really, he's worth a follow on Twitter and you should read his stuff uh, really bright. I thought I was a young conservative until I started working with Nate. Now, apparently, I'm an old conservative. Yeah, you're, is, is you're a like a geriat- you're geriatric millennial, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I'm glad that we, we put sort of a marker down and, uh, and tried to survey the landscape of, of the different forces that are kind of acting upon conservatives to, to start to change this, this sort of 30-year malaise in our leadership on, on, on climate and environmental issues. And that was our was our objective, sort of survey the landscape and point out where there are some tensions in this uh, kind of burgeoning community of of uh, eco right civic enterprises and leaders, and to gauge to what extent those tensions are are well, potential like are hard to are hard to uh, to assuage or, or where they're they're actually potentially really healthy for our our power as a as a movement. So here's the thing. I am a big fan of being in a community where not everyone thinks alike, right? When we all think alike, there isn't a marketplace for new ideas. You're just kind of talking in your echo chamber. And so, yes, in the eco-right, there are probably people we would put in the eco-right who would reject the title, but we're going to put them there anyway, because this is our show. Um, I loved how you kind of divided the eco-right in your story, in your article, into two camps, the vanguardists and the incrementalists. And so at Republic EN, we are the vanguardists, right? We have a policy prescriptive that is kind of go big or go home. And the incrementalists are we, many of our friends and many people who have been guests on this show who take the approach of going after sort of smaller bites on the apple. It doesn't mean there's there's small impact. Vanguardists, incrementalists. We do sometimes ruffle each other's feathers, perhaps, but I think it's good that in our umbrella movement, we have two, you know, two silos that are focused on different things because we need a variety of ideas if we're going to really solve an issue as big as climate change. Definitely. I mean, I think that the, the incrementalists and, and vanguardists work together in a number of mutually reinforcing and complementary ways. And sometimes we don't recognize that because we're, you know, out there kind of advancing our, our best idea for the moment um, in whatever, from whatever perspective we're, we're carrying. But we tried to take a step back. And, and one of the things we, we do in the article that your, our listeners here might uh, find useful is... We just paused and unpacked the taxonomy of policy options that are available to any government to address climate change. So, you know, regulation, taxation, subsidization, and deregulation, untaxation, and unsubsidization. You know, some of the, they address they address different market failures and government failures, and that's kind of at the crux of how of why these two camps as we, I mean, and they're not these two ways of, this is a way to view the the landscape. It's not a hard and fast rule. And there's plenty of examples of organizations that would probably straddle the line and could, 
could could be feel just as home in, in a convention of vanguardists or incrementalists. Uh, and I think R Street, you know, is a good example. They they could they've got a lot to say um, that that both both camps are would find highly credible and, and helpful. We work together so well because of two, I guess, two or three main reasons. Let's see how many I get to real quickly here. Number one is that the policies actually work better together. So carbon tech, like carbon pricing is the most efficient instrument that um, available to, for the mass, to, to effectuate the mass adoption of existing technologies. To holy moly, there is a porcupine in my garden. Oh my God. <laughs> Listeners alert, alert, porcupine. <laughs> Are there porcupines in Wisconsin? I mean, it's pretty far away from where I'm standing right now. So, I mean, it's possible that I'm looking at like a, a really raggedy squirrel's tail or something, but it's, it's kind of freaking me out. Um, Step away from the porcupine. I, I, I do not know if they, <laughs> like there's going to be some, some listener that like knows for a fact that I mean, don't call the DNR yet. I, I, I have not verified. Um, the policies work together really well. So carbon pricing, great for mass adoption of existing technologies, less efficient than, than government spending at overcoming the market failures around research and development. Like the, that the, the private sector left on it to its own devices will underinvest in research and development because the fruits of that investment will spill over to other firms. They don't get to capture all of that benefit. Those are two separate market failures. Um, you know, one is an externality and two is the is R&D market failure. And both of those, you know, are more efficiently addressed with different instruments. And so if you, if you wisely spend money to, you know, and, for discovery, invention, innovation, um, so that we have more like low, zero, and negative carbon technologies available, commercially available, then a carbon tax is more efficient at mass, you know, at promoting the mass adoption. It works better if you have better technology. And developing technology is is cool, but it's not super impactful if it, you know, doesn't find its way to mass adoption. So th- that's just one of the ways that, you know, it, it, it might behoove us as a, as a movement with different perspectives to just recognize that sometimes, I mean, that our, our preferred policy instruments, whatever we think of like political viability of them at the given moment, but they are often mutually reinforcing and um, we, should, we should really kind of be rooting for each other's success. Well, and one thing that was sort of coming to mind as you were walking through this is that I think that in... As, as short a time ago as maybe even a couple of years, the incrementalists, I would have defined them more as not wanting to talk about the words climate change and instead focusing their messaging on clean energy adoption. And I don't see that as much anymore, right? I think that now there is such widespread recognition that climate change is happening, they still might need to use the the clean energy messaging to bring on um, business interests and and some of those um, members of Congress that still are a little reluctant to talk about climate change, but but it isn't a defining characteristic of their movement the way I feel like it used to be. And, And then the other thing that I wanted to touch on as you were going through that is I don't think that we can leave the listeners today without acknowledging that for the first time in as long as I've been working on these issues, 
I'm seeing the words carbon tax in the news from multiple sources every day, right? And so in my mind, I'm sort of like, I'm thinking, of course, I, you know, I love the written word. So I'm always thinking about how to write something. And I'm thinking the, you know, the normalization of the term carbon tax. Is that where we're headed right now? Because a carbon tax 12 years ago, when I was writing a cap and trade bill for my boss was the threat we used, right? Like, well, if you don't support this, you're going to get regulation or you're going to get a carbon tax, right? And now I feel like it's, while people are, there's still a reluctance to get together and hold hands and take that step and, and actually do it. And it is not easy, you know, when the, when the carbon tax was thrown out, there is an alternative for these packages, this package that the Democrats are putting together as part of their budget reconciliation. I did a laugh a little bit. The carbon tax is hard. It doesn't get easier because you get to do it with only 50 people as they do not have unanimity within the Democratic Party on a carbon tax. But I do think it is positive to the work that we are doing that people are reading about a carbon tax on the daily now. I hope that's positive. I mean, I, I, I think I think that's right, Chels. I mean, although I, I will say that sometimes when I, I see it and click and a uh, carbon tax, uh, I, I think that Josh Siegel and Neil Chatterjee are, are doing a really great job with their new their new podcast, Plugged In. And uh, they've only had a, a few episodes so far, but they've uh, they've given out they've given some pretty good insight on like the CEPP and 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 a carbon tax from from some folks. I think it was yeah, White I House. To their episode with Senator Whitehouse, who um, listeners might remember was a guest on this show in season one, and I thought they did a great job. I haven't listened um, since then. Fairly new podcast, plugged in. Definitely look for it. I think the more people in this space talking about these issues, always the better. So, so Sean, the Congressman Caston sort of threw some cold water on whether a carbon tax could ever pass muster um, in in the context of these spending bills in the house, um, which, uh, and then with what, with what, uh, uh, Senator Manchin and Senator Tester said the other day. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. I'm not sure how, Chelsea, you tell me how, how seriously are you taking this, uh, prospect of uh of using a, a carbon tax as a pay for and not at all <laughs> yeah okay and and and, and in, a, in a sense especially from a conservative perspective like from a conservative sort of vanguardist perspective you that's want, not you, all that's that that's a that, that could be we could we, we we wouldn't have a tough time how construing how that might be uh in long term not the right not you're the using, worst thing in the world i mean you're using the carbon tax to so i have a couple of thoughts on this I think using revenues from the carbon tax to defray some of our burgeoning budget deficit is, I can get comfortable with that maybe, but I really think if we're going to talk about a carbon tax in a way that isn't going to hurt families and feel like a tax on families, right, then we have to have the reduction in payroll tax or we have to have the dividend planned or plan or something along those lines. So yeah, I, you know, you know, I read the news a lot. I read the news. I basically get paid to read the news. I do not see this happening. I think that it's great, though, that people are talking about this mechanism. And 
I hope that that means that we will normalize it and that we will get to see a day where a carbon tax is enacted and we are all moving on to doing other um, challenging <laughs> work. So, um, Alex, I want to be mindful of your time, but if you have just a second to peer into your crystal ball and tell me where you think the future of the eco-right is headed, um, I think that would be a really great way to wrap up our segment. Well, I hope that it's headed toward what, what Nate and I called in the piece uh, eco-right fusionism. This notion that we really have a powerful, a powerful intellectual base and, and political legacy to carry, like, carry conservative leadership on climate in a, all around the country with different regions and perspectives, with different priorities and different angles, different messaging, but kind of unified in... In, in some common principles and a mutual respect that will give this movement some, it will help us build the power of the eco-right. Um, if we can find the, the, those shared, shared principles and goals. And, you know, I think one of the, there's, there's a, a number of things that we need that are kind of in our way to getting there. And one of them is, you know, we, we don't really have a good yardstick on the right for how to measure to what extent a particular policy intervention like adds up to what we hope to accomplish in terms of you know whether that what what, what kind of policy outcomes policy goals we can be unified around and for for the long term we, we have a easier time on the right right now kind of coalescing coalitions around policy instruments or particular opportunities to advance a policy instrument or an intervention than than we do on kind of coalescing around the ultimate objectives that we're hoping to accomplish. Um, and so that's another thing we talk about a little bit in the piece that we don't answer. And uh, how do we find that unity around, you know, goals and objectives? If we can find that, then I think we've got a really good shot at uh, a kind of an eco-right fusionist future that That'll build us a, a really powerful movement that can, can you know, sometimes stand athwart, sometimes cooperate with, um, opt, hopefully oftentimes help unlock bipartisan breakthroughs and decarbonization with the, uh, the kind of environmental movement as it stands right now, mostly without conservatives. Um, so that's what, I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. And thank you for your wonderful contributions over more than a more than a decade uh longer than i've been working on these issues chelsea you've been making a difference on them <laughs> writing legislation and we were together at republican for a long time and you do extraordinary work you've had extraordinary guests and wonderful conversations on this podcast so i'm grateful for all the all the time and leadership that your brain power that you've brought to the eco right um as like an og eco writer and uh you're bringing a tear to my eye alex <laughs> and yeah, I, mi I mean i do i really i miss working with you on a on a daily basis but we're, I'm, I'm so delighted that we're still in in this together a lot of a lot of, a lot of work to go but man there's a lot of good reasons to feel optimistic about where we've about you know whence we've come and what's happening now well, on that note, we have work to do. So let's get to work. And I appreciate always your 
um, support and friendship and um, was, like I said, thrilled to see this piece that listeners, I will link, you really need to to take some time. It's, it's a longer article, so you'll want to spend some time absorbing it. And uh, Alex, thanks so much. I look forward to my son hopefully getting into the University of Wisconsin and taking a trip to Madison and visiting you and your family and um, and raising a toast to where we've been and where we're going. Amen. Godspeed, Chelsea. So, Price, it's always such a joy to talk to Alex Bosmoski. I miss having him on our um, our team calls twice a week. Alexander Bosmoski, the father of the eco-right, coined yes. the term. One Point. of my favorite people in the world. I hate he left us, but he is doing greater, bigger, broader work across the eco-right. And it's great to have him back. And congratulations to him and Maria on their newest, latest munchkin. Now yes. now parents of two beautiful ones. <laughs> so congratulations to both of them. Yeah, it was really fun to see him um, trying to find a place in his house. He's on paternity leave. And so he said between the babies and his wife and they had someone there to clean their house. He's like, my house is just so loud. So I'm in the garage. And then there's one point where he could hear like the backing, the beeping of a garbage truck backing up. So we kind of got it like it was like reality TV recording this episode with Alex. Alexander has always got like he's he's a human juggling act. Because he's got so much going on. And that's obviously clearly the case here. With the well, we're team. so lucky to have him on our side and to have him be our leader and our friend. So I'm glad that we got to have that conversation. 100%. Thanks, Alexander, for joining us. He always gives me a hard time when I call him Alexander, but I love him. Um, if you want to ask Bob anything, a question, please do. Um, we'll give you another chance this week to get a question in. Go to Apple Podcast, give us a review, and where it says comment, that is where you put your question in. We need some questions, and we're calling on you. So get your questions in, and we will get back to those next week, Chelsea Henderson. That's right. Remember, those questions help guide programming, and they're just fun to do. It's fun to to include Bob in the podcast more. I like having that element, the Bob element. I do, too. And in full disclosure, to peel the curtain back a little bit, that's why we started it, so we could get Robert Durden Inglis, <laughs> our boss, Bob, on here more often. You to- love to call people by their full names, and I'm sorry that my name does not have an abbreviation so that you can't extend it the way you do Alexander and Robert. <laughs> it, it's it's a good thing. I'm a nickname guy and I get a big, really hard time about it at home. All right, <laughs> let's shout out our new members. Marsha B in Iowa, Barbara C in DC, Samuel N in Oklahoma, Edwin W from right here in South Carolina, and Robert B in Illinois. Thanks for standing with us. Republican.org forward slash join. That is where you can sign up to stand with us we need you if you have not done so we'll ask you to do two things subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and then stand with us republican.org forward slash join chelsea that's right three things actually then give us a review on Uh, apple podcasts and you know then while you're there you might as well ask that burning question so 
All right. What do we That's have next what I week? Have. Next week we are talking to you. So I don't know, Price, if you, I know we've all been um, a little crazy and the news is like changes by the minute, but hopefully not lost in all of the reconciliation discussion is the fact that the DOD and the intelligence community at the time of recording have just come out with a pretty um, scathe, not scathing, scathing is the wrong word, but a pretty damning report mm-hmm. on the impacts climate change is having on national security, both here at home and across the globe. So I have invited the woman who was sort of the queen of introducing me to this I, this link between national security and climate change, Sherry Goodman. She's currently a fellow with the Wilson Center, and she's just so knowledgeable. It was her knowledge on this link between climate change and national security that first compelled my old boss, John Warner. I owe you five bucks for the John Warner jar. Um, and she's just comes, she has such a strong national security background and is, you know, knows all of those retired flag officers who have come out and written reports. And so she's really got her finger on the pulse of that really super timely. And so we'll be talking to her next episode. Excited for that. Hope everybody has a good week. Great work as always, Chelsea. And thanks again to Alex, Mr. Bosmoski for joining us. And we will do it again next week as we barrel toward the end of 2021 and the end of season three. That's right. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.